Well, good evening. It is good to be with you again this evening. God bless each of you who have chosen to come to be a part of this service here this evening. I invite you to open your Bibles this evening to Proverbs chapter 5. That's where I'd like to start. And while you're turning there, I come across this poem that I'd like to share with you. And this evening, I'd like to share with you on the subject of moral purity. I think it's an area that affects a lot of people. And I hope we can find courage tonight to remain faithful. And if God sees something in our lives that needs attention, that we would be faithful to respond to that. There's this poem that's titled The Barnyard Duck. And it goes like this. It says, my soul is like a barnyard duck, muddling in the barnyard muck, fat and lazy with useless wings, but sometimes when the north wind wind sings, and wild ducks, they fly overhead, it ponders something that's lost and dead. Then cocks a worry, bewildered eye, And it makes a feeble attempt to fly. But it's quite content with the state that it's in. But it's not the duck that it should have been. It's not the duck that it could have been. Something within the duck, realizing he's not where he should be, but he's quite content to stay the state that he's in. Are we content with the state that we're in? I'd like to read some verses here in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. Powerful passage of Scripture. Has a lot has all to do a lot to do with moral purity. Let the words speak to you. I don't plan to make just a lot of comments on these verses, but if you would please just follow along. Proverbs chapter five <coughs> and verse one. He says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold of hell. Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Verse 10 says, Let strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction, 
and the heart despise reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instruct me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and in the midst of the assembly. I believe if I, as I read these words, verse 14 especially, he says, I was almost in total ruin. And he was in the midst of the congregation. And I don't know, for myself, some of the, there's just seems more and more of this sin that's more prevalent. And people that we can hardly imagine. And it breaks our hearts. In the midst of the congregation, he's almost in, t- he's in total ruin. In verse 12, he says, And say, How have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof. To me, it seems like there's a, a sense of regret. The proverb writer says, How did I ever get to this place? Why have I not listened to the instructions that I have received? Skip on down to verse 20. It says, and, my, and why wilt thou, my son, be ravished or be intoxicated with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all of his goings. Skip down to chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. Pick up reading at verse 20. He says, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually, continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, when thou goest, it shall lead thee. And when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall, talk, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproof of instructions are thy way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after the beauty of her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And a man can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go unto hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into the neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroys his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Again, I believe the proverb writer here is talking about the consequences of the sin of immorality. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, My son, keep my words and lay them upon my and lay them up and lay up and lay up my commandment with thee. Keep my commandments and live, 
and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon the fingers, upon thy fingers, and write them upon the tables of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Verse 5 says that they may, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth her with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my encasement, and behold, among the simple ones I discerned among the youth a young man that was void of understanding. A young man that was void of understanding. See, I can remember back to my young, when I was a young boy, I'm guessing I was probably 10 to 12 years old, it could be, I don't remember exactly, but I can remember getting together at the family gathering, and of course I was, wanted to be with the older boys, and there we were, and I remember being in the haymow, and the older boys, the 15, 16 year olds, they pulled out a book. I was then 10, 12 years old. And I can still go back to that day because at that moment in my life, innocence was broken. And parents this evening, even if you're watching online, we can't put forth hardly enough of effort to keep our children, to protect them especially with the use of internet and so forth. But I was just a young lad at a young age when I was exposed to pornography. Keep reading here, verse 8 says, Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and in the dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart, she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Verse 12 says, Now is she without, now in the street, and she lies in wait at every corner. And church family this evening, I feel like this, this sin, this sin of immorality, it's just all around us. It seems like it hardly matters where we look. It's lurking. He talks here about lieth and wait at every corner. And as men, we need to be careful. We need to put up our guard. It seems like the sin of immorality is all around us. It's very close. And we need to continue and never let down our guard. You see, immorality is promoted in our, society, in our society. I believe today, in so many different ways, immorality, immorality is promoted through the songs that are being sung. Immorality is promoted through advertisements, novels, magazines, movies, internet. And yes, it's even promoted with lots of jokes. The question has been raised. Whether if anyone in our society can live a pure godly life when they have an unrestrained diet, an unrestrained diet of movies, television, radio, and yes, the use of the internet. 
The average age of children being exposed to pornography, it is said that it used to be about 11 years old, which is probably about what I was back in my day when I was that age. But today it's believed that the average age is about five years old. It is believed that young men reach their greatest desires at ages 18 to 22. It's in that range. And these desires, we have to understand, these desires are not wrong in and of themselves. I believe they're God-given desires. God gives them to us. But I feel this evening like man has taken something that God has meant for good and has perverted it in so many different ways. When we think about this subject, it's perverted in so many different ways. And how can we fight this passion, this urge that we have as men? How can you fight this passion that we deal with, this, this passion that God gives us? To remain clean, how can we remain clean and pure in the world, in the society in which we live? And I submit to you this evening, I feel like it's but almost impossible without the help of Jesus Christ, without Christ living in our hearts to give us the power to resist and to say no. I almost think it's almost impossible. And so we need that. We need Jesus Christ in our lives to help us to maintain a pure life. It is said that everyone must choose one of two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You see, it takes a lot of discipline in our life to remain a pure individual. And this evening I feel like the devil has caused more confusion in the area of love than almost any other subject or in any other area. See, he's caused so much confusion in this area of love. What many people believe to be love is actually selfishness and lust. We can go to 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. We don't need to turn there. But we read the story of Abnon who sexually abused his sister. Her name was Tamar. And if we would look there in 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter, it would tell us that Abnon loved Tamar. But as you continue reading there in 2 Samuel, chapter 13, it would tell us that Abnon forced her, and she begged him not to do it. You see, Abnon was so selfish that he was willing to defile the beauty that beautiful girl, he was willing to defile that beautiful girl to satisfy his sexual desires. And I submit to you this evening that this isn't love. This is not love as Amnon thought it to be. You see, this evening, love is a commitment of the well-being of another person. That's true love. True love is self-sacrificing. Love is a commitment to the well-being of another person. I feel this evening like more men have fallen to the, sin, to the sin of immorality than almost any other sin. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 7, if you're still here, I'd like to pick up reading here at verse 22. It says, He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, 
as a fool to the correction of the stocks, to a, to a dart strike through his liver. As a bird hastes to the, hastens to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend unto the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, and go not astray in her path. For he has cast down many wounded, many a strong men, the Bible says, have been slain by her. Verse 27 says, her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. More men have fallen to the sin of immorality, I believe, than any other sin in the Bible. Statistics reveal that the increase in the amount and the far-reaching effects of pornography cannot be ignored. And it isn't just the men. Both women and teenage children are also being caught in the web of pornography at alarming rates. And we dare not assume that the church is exempt. We dare not assume that the church is exempt. Some time ago, there was a young man who was at our church. Young married now, but he was a dean. He used to. He was a dean. I don't remember how you, how many years ago it was, but he was a dean out at SMBI. And as he shared with his young men that were in his dorm, he said a hundred percent of the men in his dorm were struggling with immorality. A hundred percent. This evening we could look at a lot of statistics, but I don't think we're going to do that for time's sake. Statistics are terrible. This evening for a text, I chose to read from 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'd like you to turn there with me, please. 2 Samuel chapter 11. a familiar passage of scripture here. It's one that we're quite familiar with, I'd say. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. I'd like to just read a couple of verses here. Again, I'm not going to read this whole story, but I just want to pick up a few verses here. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroy and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Amnon of Ammon, and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, and he walked upon his roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and she lay with her. I think I'll just leave off reading there. We know how the story goes from here, how Bathsheba ended up having a child, and you know all the the things that David did to try to cover up his tracks, to try to cover up his sin. And we realize this evening that this was a sad day in the life of David. David was known as a man after God's own heart. As we consider this story this evening, we realize that David caved to the passions of his heart. And before we get too hard on David, I think we need to consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. In the Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus says this words in verse 27. He says, You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh unto a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. You see, Jesus went beyond the outward command to reveal that adultery is a result of an inner attitude of the heart. It's just the same as someone has hatred in their heart for a brother. That is actually the same as committing murder. And it's the same way with lust. It's equal. It's the same as adultery. And so if we think about this story here this evening, there's just a few things that I'd like to leave with you that I'd like to consider here this evening as we think about the sin of immorality. Number one is this. I feel like in this story that David suppressed the truth. He suppressed the truth. You look at this passage of Scripture and these verses that we read. In verse 3 it tells us that David sent and inquired for the woman. And then there was this individual and we don't even know who was. But he came to David and said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so in my own words, this, this man came along and said, David, what are you about to do? Bathsheba, she's, she's another man's wife. But the next verse tells us that he sent for her. He sent for her. You see, David knew that it was wrong. But I feel like David suppressed the truth. It feels like at this point in David's life that sin looked more appealing than actually serving God. Sin looked more appealing than actually serving God. One of Britain's most gifted writers in the 19th century fell into sexual sin and he ended up in prison and disgrace. He wrote that God had given me almost everything. But I left myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I was tired of being on the height. I deliberately went to the depth in search of new sensation. He says, I grew tired. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me. 
I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character. And therefore, what one has done in the secret chamber, one has someday to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased not to be Lord over myself, and I was no longer the captain of my soul. I allowed pleasure to dominate my life, and I ended up in a horrible disgrace. Feels to me like David, in this portion of scripture, he allowed pleasure to dominate his life. David was flirting with sin. He was confronted by a brother. He was confronted by an individual. But he was still willing to send for her. He was flirting with sin. We read the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It tells us that David ran away. He fled. And this evening I wonder how many of us are flirting with the sin of immorality or are we fleeing as Joseph did? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, it's seasonal, brothers and sisters. I think we need to be careful. We think about the sin of immorality. The reason it's, it has so much pull is because it's pleasure. I don't think we, I think we have to recognize that. It brings forth some pleasure, but brothers and sisters, it's for a season. Yes, it does bring forth pleasure. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's seasonal this evening. The sin, the sin of immorality is something that is fleeting. It's gone. And all we're left with is guilt and shame and hurt and broken relationships. Romans chapter 1 talks a little bit about this as well. This whole thing of suppressing the truth. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, it reads like this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It says, Who hold the truth of unrighteousness. Those that, have, those that suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because, they, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, it says that they glorified him not as God. Because when they knew God, they glorified him, not as God. I believe it's another translation tells us that they refused to profit with the light and the understanding that they had. Those that held the truth in unrighteousness. 
You see, I think that Roman, here in Romans chapter 1, it sheds some light on why so many people are failing in this sin of immorality. I feel like it's because our world is no longer embracing the truth of God's word. And it's not because they don't know the truth. This evening, brothers and sisters, I submit to you that it is a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be to know the truth, but to suppress it, to shove it down, and to ignore the conscience. Verse 28 of Romans chapter 1 tells us that God eventually gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that they refused to repent of, you see. I feel like in part, David was an example of Romans chapter 1. You see, he knew the truth. Someone confronted him with the sin. He knew what was right. He was warned by someone. But he did not act accordingly to the truth. The good thing in this story of David and Bathsheba is that David repented of his sin. If you read on in the next chapter, chapter 12, Nathan comes along and says, David, David, you're the man. And David repented. He said, I have sinned. You see, we're still living in the day of grace. We still have the opportunity to repent. But the reality of so many people today is that they are suppressing the truth. They're ignoring their conscience. Proverbs 32 verse 6 says, For this shall every man know, every man that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. For this shall every man that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. And tonight we're still living in that day of grace. There's still time. And maybe it's not someone that's sitting here tonight. It could be someone that's listening online or somebody that's, maybe you know someone that is struggling with this. Someone that you've prayed for for years. There is still time. They're still living in the day of grace and we shouldn't give up. But we also need to look at our own hearts. We need to look inside. Say, God. How am I doing in this area of moral purity? Am I suppressing something that I shouldn't be? Am I ignoring the conscience? And this evening, we can look at all the reasons why David stumbled and fell. We can look at different scenarios. I think one of the possibilities of why David stumbled and fell was, was because of idleness. Maybe it was idleness. David should have probably been out fighting and helping his people fight in the battle. But instead, verse 1 says that he tarried still in Jerusalem. I know you've heard it said before that idleness is the devil's workshop. And so many Christians today are disengaged in the battle. There's lots of kingdom work to, to do. And I want to encourage us to get involved in kingdom work. Get engaged in kingdom work. I feel like too many Christian people today are tarrying still at Jerusalem, if you will. And I feel like we should get engaged in the kingdom 
work. This evening you can be sitting here, you might be sitting here this evening and you think that immorality is something that you don't struggle with. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the 12th verse, it says, Wherefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Take heed, church. And I don't even care tonight if it's just a warning for all of us. And I, it's my heart's desire that all of us would be living in purity here this evening. But just to call again, to stand firm. To stand firm. Because we know that this sin is all around us. I encourage us to listen to our conscience. Don't suppress the truth. Listen to the still small voice of God. Secondly, this evening, as I look at this portion of scripture, the story of David and Bathsheba, we realize that sin has consequences. Secondly, tonight, sin does have consequences. Verse 5, we see here in this portion of Scripture how Bathsheba conceived. We realize that David got caught. If we keep reading in chapter, I believe it's the next verse, verses 14 and 15, we see that this, this child that they had got sick and it actually there was a big price to pay for David with the sin of immorality you see sin does have consequences you know it's amazing to me what man will do what steps he will take to cover his tracks you see David went to great extreme to hide his sin David had Bathsheba's husband Uriah come home from the battle hoping he would sleep with his wife to cover his tracks. He tried getting Uriah drunk. And it never helped cover his... And eventually David sent Uriah out in the hottest place in the battle for him to be killed. And it was all part to cover his sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whosoever covers his sin shall not prosper. But the latter part of that verse says that whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And that's the hope of this message here this evening. That's the hope of this message. To know that God is willing and that God is able, and that God is big enough to deliver you and I from moral sin. But you know, when we open the door to this kind of sin and give the devil a foothold, it is hard to imagine the things or what else we may end up doing. And as I already mentioned, David ended up killing a man on top of his immoral failure. Sin has, has consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
Be not deceived this evening. God is not mocked. The word mocked carries the idea of being outfoxed or outsmarted. Don't be deceived this evening. God is not outsmarted or God is not outfoxed. We can't outsmart him. This evening to disobey God's commands and to think that we can escape divine punishment is foolishness. We cannot outsmart God. Don't be deceived this evening. God is not mocked. I think something else that's important to remember as we think about this, this thought of sin having consequences, I think it's important for us to remember. Yes, we're free to choose and make decisions. We're free to choose to sin if, if that's the life that we choose to live. But you and I are not free to choose the consequences of our actions. You and I are not free to choose the consequences of the actions that we take. That's up to God. The consequences are up to God. If I would understand this story, if I understand it correctly, if I remember correctly, David lost four of his sons because of his disobedience. It just seems to me this evening like the price to pay for moral failure is more than what you and I want to pay. And perhaps you have heard this before, but it's said that sin will take you places that you don't want to go. Sin will take you farther than what you would like to go. And sin will cost you more than you'd like to pay. Sin does have consequences. And thirdly, this evening, if we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us. And again, this is the hope of, <coughs> of the message here tonight. In the next chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the 13th verse, we read these words. He says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against God. <coughs> 1 John 1 verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in Jude, verses, 20, <coughs> verses 21 to 24, we read these words. Verse 21 tells us, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted of the flesh. And then 24, we read these, this verse. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And when we do that, verse 24 says that God is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This evening, brothers and sisters, God is not only able to forgive us of our sins, but he is able to keep us from falling. And he's able to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
Brothers and sisters, tonight when I think about my life, and when you think about your life, when I, when I think about all the things, all the mistakes that I made, and to think that God can present me faultless one day before an almighty king, to present us faultless should excite us. This evening, so many people are looking for freedom from the devastating effects of moral failure. It is said that clinics hardly even know how to help these kinds of people. They recognize that it's an addiction, but they don't really know how to help them. And I read somewhere, as I was reading about this, I read somewhere that they were even giving these people medication as a means to help them, to try to get over their addictions. But brothers and sisters, this evening, the answer is not medication. The answer is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 says that we have all gone astray. We have all gone our own way, and by his stripes we are healed. And that's what the gospel message is all about. He came to set the captives free. He conquered the grave, death, and hell. And he destroyed the power of sin in our lives. And just as the earthquake in the book of Acts shook the prison walls, loosed all the chains and fetters, he opened every prison door. That same Jesus for the last 2,000 and some years is still setting men free from their sins today. We are still living in a day of grace. The prison doors have been opened, and all we need to do is come. And God is faithful to, de to deliver his people. That's why Christ allowed the nails to be driven through his hands and his feet on the cross. You see, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was the great love that he had for sinners like you and I. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, we read this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, procro to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And so this evening, as we think about the subject of moral immorality, this evening, I simply want to remind us that God's word is clear when he talks about moral failure. It is sin. Proverbs chapter 7 says that many of strong men fell to this sin. So take heed. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And secondly, this evening is to remind us that sin does have consequences. Yes, there is a price to pay for the sinful actions that we take. Sin will cost you more than what you want to pay. And God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Do not be deceived by thinking you can get away with it. And this evening, you can fool man. You can fool your parents. You can fool the preacher. But brothers and sisters, tonight you cannot fool God. And thirdly, this evening, is that God is able to set you free. He is able to forgive us. He is able to keep us from stumbling. And he is able to present you and I to the king on judgment day as someone as faultless. 
But we need to come. We need to come to him. You see, the price has already been paid. And all we need to do is come. Come to him. Let's pray. Father, this evening we pause before you again. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. And God, you know the audience here. You know each heart. And God, I cannot preach a message like this without giving them an opportunity to respond. God, you know them. And maybe it's even someone watching online. I don't know. But God, I pray that you'd have your way right now in these moments. Perhaps there's someone here that needs to get right with you. They have fallen short. They're living in sin. And tonight, it's been made aware. And again, tonight, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, because I have no desire to shame anyone, if God has spoken to you in the area of moral failure, and you want to get right with God, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. God speaking to you tonight. Secondly, tonight, the second part of this invitation is this. Maybe the sin of immorality is, is something that you confessed in the past. You found victory. But as years gone by, as time went by, you realized that you kind of fell back. You kind of left go of your guard. And tonight you know that you're not quite where you should be. And tonight you want to drive another stake. Say, God, help me to continue to live a victorious Christian life in purity. If that's you tonight, raise your, raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for your goodness. Thank you for meeting with us tonight. And God, I pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Go with us, keep us, and Lord, bring us back tomorrow safely. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the warning tonight. Lord, not only in my life as well, for each one of us, God, we realize that sin is all around us and it's trying to pull us down. Help us to continue to live lives of victory and purity and holiness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I should have stand at this time and I'll ask this course to lead us.